Thank you for engaging today's message with Wind River Community Church. Our prayer for you is that you will encounter Christ and grow in your relationship with Him. May this encourage you in connecting with other people who follow Jesus as well as knowing you are not alone. If you would like prayer, please text us at 307-240-8742 or if you would like more information about this program or past messages, visit our website at windriverchurch.com. I look forward to hearing what God is doing in your life. And now, here is today's message. I've recently been reflecting over my life. Um, (laughs) There's this thing that happened a a week ago, and probably very few of you even know this is a part of um, my my life, but um, my dad's youngest brother, who is now 83, last Sunday was released from prison. Glorious, I'm telling you. He went to prison, and you know what he found? Jesus. And he would tell you, if he were standing right here today, he would tell you that he wouldn't have traded anything because he, he got life. He went, what people thought they were doing was locking him. And, and by the way, he had a, uh, a judge that threw the book at him and gave him the maximum uh, penalty for his crime. And, and he was guilty, by the way, he would tell you that. Um, with no chance of parole. So he was there for 25 years, and it, it, just, it just broke my heart because there were people who committed far worse deeds than he did who would go, you know, like six months and get out or three days and get out. And so anyway, uh, the blessing in all of this is that his wife started to battle cancer for the third time three months ago. And our prayer was that God would allow Sandy, my aunt, to remain on planet Earth until her husband, Ralph, could come and see her. And he got to spend a week with her before Jesus took her to heaven, which was yesterday. And, and so it, it just, it's the goodness of God. I mean, she, she, she was ushered into the presence of Jesus. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I, I, I don't really feel sad for her. I, I feel a little bit sad for my uncle, but he's, he's happy that she's no longer suffering. And so we've got this thing going on where when those things take place in your life, you start to think about your life. And I think about 25 years ago when my uncle got sentenced into prison, that if you would have told me 25 years ago, all the things that we're facing now, all the different issues that we have going on, like gender identity, uh, the release of violent criminals just almost overnight, a campaign against law enforcement, the murder of babies, uh, the critical race theory being taught to our children. If you would have told me that when my uncle went to jail, that in 25 years when he gets let out, that that's going to be the condition of our country, I would have gone, no, no, not at all. Because I would have said, you're talking about a, a, a godless country. But our country... We have this foundation built on the Word of God, and so godly people would never allow that to happen. People with common sense would never allow those things to happen. But yet, here we are today in the middle of a, sport, uh, of a spiritual and moral crisis like we've never seen before. And I'm thinking like, my goodness, what is it going to have to take in order for Jesus to come back? Because we've never seen, this has never happened before. 
And then all of a sudden, and one day as I was reading through Psalms, I came across this. It says about Psalm 10, somewhere in there. The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. For they brag about their evil desires. They praise the greedy and curse the Lord. The wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead. Yet they succeed in everything they do. They do not see your punishment waiting them. They sneer at all their enemies. They think nothing bad will ever happen to us. We can be free of trouble forever. Their mouths are filled with cursing, lies, and threats. Trouble and evil are on the tips of their tongues. They lurk in ambush in villages, waiting to murder innocent people. They are always searching for helpless victims. They think God will never call us to account. I'm like, all right. Jesus didn't go on vacation. He hasn't been asleep. This doesn't surprise him. It might surprise us, but it doesn't surprise him. Because this is what happens when the presence of God, the light of his presence, is removed from a country. It it diminishes. People end up walking in darkness and choose to live in darkness rather than in light. And let me just state from the beginning that when we use this word that is found in the Bible, light, it is a representation of God's presence, His holiness, righteousness, His salvation, and His guidance to His people. But when it uses the term darkness, that represents wickedness, evil, all things ungodly and vile. And so, if we were to go back to the beginning of creation, we would see that the darkness is not a new thing because right in Genesis 1, it says God created heaven and earth. That's where it stops. God created heaven and earth. And I believe that there was a pause, not in the narrative written in, in Genesis, but in the time frame in which this all took place. Because between, between that and the next thing that happened, there was a, a, an interruption in the heavenly realm, and that was where Satan decided that he was going to be as good as God. He was going to be as great and powerful as God, and he tried to usurp God's authority. And God picked him up by the nap of his neck and threw him out of heaven, banished him from heaven, and said, you'll never come back. And so then we pick up the narrative back in Genesis at Genesis 2, and it says that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And let me just stop right there, because this is where I really believe that that's what happened in the heavenly realm. I think that darkness that it talks about right there is when Satan was cast to earth, and his darkness covered the earth. Because it was this, just this thing that happened. It was, it was just unbelievable. And so to counteract the darkness, look what God did. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Now let me just say this. You, you see right there, it didn't say that God created darkness and he created light. It's just God created light. And he said what? He said the light was good. And then he did this with the light. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God, God called the, the light day, 
and the darkness he called light, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And by the way, I, wanna, I want you to see something here on that. This is, this is a little cul-de-sac run, okay? This is free. So it says there was evening and there was morning. There was the first day. See, in the east, and I talk about Middle East, that's how their day starts, in the evening. Not in the morning. Right here in Genesis, that's how the day goes. You, you start your new day in the evening, not in the morning. We've got it backwards. We started in the morning. And we go like, oh, it's a new day. And, and everybody in the east goes, no, the new day starts at sundown. Just think about that for a little bit. Now listen, if, if, when you see what's going on here, you could miss something that's really important if you're not paying attention to what's happening. Because this is day one on creation. It isn't until the fourth day of creation that God creates the sun to rule the day and the moon and the stars to rule the night. You see, there wasn't, wasn't in, in the first day of creation that there was a sun and a moon. There was just light and there was darkness. And the light was there to counteract the darkness that I believe Satan was on the earth. And so, so God had to deal with darkness right from the beginning of creation because he knew what darkness was going to do. It wasn't just going to cover the face of the earth. It was going to in, invade and infest every thing that God created, every aspect of it. Satan was bound and determined to come and make a mess of everything that God said was good. So when God created something good, Satan says, no, 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 that's not good, that's bad. And he's been telling us that ever since God created it. And whatever God says is, is very good, Satan says, oh, no, 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 that's very bad. And what God created that, that, that he said was very good was when he created Adam and Eve and he put them together as a husband and wife and he said, that union, that marriage between a man and a woman, that is very good. And so we've been taught and we're learning right now that a union between a man and a woman is a very bad thing. And yet that's not what God said. I, I, I just have one question for you. Who are you going to believe? So, we come back to, to what God sees as the human heart. I mean, that psalmist in Psalm 10, he, just, he described our time right now, just the wickedness of people's hearts. Matter of fact, uh, God said to his servant Jeremiah that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. And in Isaiah, God said, bring out the people who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf, Gather the nations together. Assemble the people of the world, he says. You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. God gave Israel a mission, and the mission that God gave Israel when he gathered them together and called them to be his holy nation, the mission was that they were to become the light bearers of God's salvation to the entire world. They had a mission. They had a plan. 
They had something to fulfill. God gave them more to do than what they could possibly even dream of. Something that was greater than them, that would take God's help to accomplish it. But here's the problem. Israel couldn't seem to get their head around the fact that they were the ones that were the light bearers and tell people that the God of creation has light and salvation to help them so that, that they could come out and even though they have eyes, they couldn't really see. And what it's talking about is spiritually. They were blind spiritually. Deaf, they could hear, but they couldn't hear God. And so they couldn't, they couldn't hear what they needed to hear. They dwelled in dungeons of darkness, imprisoned by sin, and locked away from the saving love of God. That, that was the thing that Israel was supposed to, to do and bring that message so that all the people of the earth could know God. And yet, they had a major oops. Instead of running the people out whose hearts were full of darkness, who, who lived for wickedness, who did evil things, who sacrificed babies to their gods, instead of Israel running them out and declaring this is God's country, Israel said, oh man, yeah, that kind of looks like we could, we could get in on that. And so instead of doing what God called them to do, because he made this covenant with them, instead of them being the hope for the nations, and, and, and instead of doing the covenant that God made with them, a partnership to bring his love to the world as light bearers, what they did is they found themselves worshiping other idols, worshiping other gods. The things, the things that they made with their hands, the things that were just made out of material instead of the living God, they had these chunks of wood or metal that they fashioned to look like something. And they worshiped those things. And so they didn't become the light bearer. They forfeited that mission that God gave to them. They decided what they wanted to do was far more important than what God asked them, gave them to do. So they were going to do their own thing. So how does the light of God then get to all the nations? What is God going to do? Because his people have abandoned their post, their mission. What is it? Yep. Go ahead, say it. Jesus. You got to say it just like that, you know. Or if you want to say it like the pastors down south, Jesus. Something like that. Jesus is the light of the world. Matter of fact, that's what John said in his gospel when he started the right, to write the world, the, his gospel. He talked about that God would come and make his dwelling among us and that he would be the light of the world. And then when Jesus came, he was doing what Israel couldn't do. He was doing what Israel couldn't be. He was being who Israel couldn't be. He became the light of God. He's the one who was going to open the eyes of the, of the blind. He will set the captives from prison. He will release those who sin sit in dark dungeons. Because in, 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 in John chapter 8, we remember last week, 
the, they, the, the religious leaders brought this adulterous woman who was living as a captive to her sin, who was living in the dungeon of, of her shame. She was blinded. She couldn't hear. She was, she was incapable of moving forward spiritually and caught in her sin, in her dungeon. They brought her to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He gave her grace and he gave her mercy. And the next thing that he did is he gave her everything she needed in order to move along, actually to be born again spiritually. He told her, I am the bread of life, the living water. He gave her everything she needed to become spiritually alive. And then on the heels of that statement, he says this to the crowd who's still there listening. He spoke to them, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, now Jesus is taking over. He is doing what Israel couldn't do. He's become what Israel couldn't become. He is the one that is opening the eyes of the blind. He set the captives free. Not just those who are chosen people of Israel, but for the whole earth. For every person who has become a captive to sin, and that's every person on planet earth, and darkness has overtaken their life, Jesus is now going to be the light that will lead them from a godless existence into a God-filled life. That's, that's the conversation that, he had, that Jesus had with Nicodemus when he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only light, son, to bring, be the light bearer. So that so the people will get to know who it is and who he is. He literally is bringing the light into the darkest place on planet Earth, and the darkest place ever seen on planet Earth is the human heart. Jesus is the light of the world by the virtue of what he says, speaking the truth by, and by the virtue of what he does, making all things new. If you say to someone else. You do say one thing, but you do another. Now you cast doubt on the words that you've spoken. That's what Paul said about the Israelites, the leaders, the spiritual leaders. He said that their hypocrisy invalidated their claim to be the guide to the blind and a light to those in darkness. They couldn't do it because their, their message didn't match their actions. One of the things that's really interesting to me about how God put creation together is that plants need something in order to grow. What is it they do they need? Sunlight. They need the sunlight. And, and there isn't a single plant that God created that moves away from sunlight when the sun comes out. They all grow towards it. They all grow towards it because they need that in order to be healthy, in order to grow, in order to, keep, to continue to, to be what God made them to be, to flourish, they have to have sunlight. It's the same with, with believers. We, we need, spiritually speaking, we need the light of Jesus for spiritual life. And this can be a good test of our standing with Jesus. The believer will always be drawn towards spiritual things. He will always... Cultivate a heart towards fellowship, prayer, the word of God, and the things of God. While on the other hand, people who don't know God, the unbelievers, the non-believers, will always 
do the opposite because light exposes their evil and the wicked hate the light. That's, I mean, it's getting a little bit more brazen in our world, but most of the time, wickedness and evil things are done at nighttime, in the dark, in the cover of darkness. In, at the beginning of John, he wrote this. He said, In him, that's Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. This, this is a mind-blowing thing for the people of Israel if, when they heard this and read this, because there was this, this period of time between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and it was a time when it was called the silent years, because God went silent for 400 years. He said nothing. There wasn't a prophetic message from any prophets. He didn't have any prophets. He didn't call anybody to be a prophet. He didn't use men or women to be a mouthpiece for him, to stand up and say, thus says the Lord God Almighty. Nothing. For 400 years, God did, said nothing. Matter of fact, a lot of people thought that God finally had had enough of the human race and had just given up on them. And then Jesus was born. And the moment that Jesus was born, he brought the light of God to bear on the lives of people. And, and John says it this way, God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And it, it was at that very moment that the light of his presence showed us the reality of God and the reality of our lives, the condition of our lives. And what was revealed is that we, all humanity, has a very great need. The need is of the utmost importance. It is a spiritual need. And that's what the light of Jesus reveals. And in light of everything that God has given to us and provides for us, we're still striving for independence from Him. But more than that, we believe that we can handle the deepest issues of our life without Him. We can deal with our spiritual and moral issues better than God can. We will never be able to deal with our spiritual needs and, and God never intended that we live independent of Him. The whole purpose of God creating Adam and Eve is that, God, that, that Adam and Eve would absolutely be dependent upon God for everything in life. But they were taught and that they believed the lie of Satan that they could live life totally independent of God. And so there's that, that streak, that stubbornness. There's that, that part of all of us that we want to be independent. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. You not the boss of me. Something like that. Right? I mean, who hasn't heard that before? And we're still doing it. The only thing is we're doing it to God. You ain't the boss of me. And, and, and so we live in this life that, that is just like, it calls out and says, you need help. You need, to be, you need to find someone who can work in your life spiritually and morally. Help you physically. Help you mentally. Help you relationally. I, I think the, biggest, the second biggest need other than spiritual is our relational need. I mean, if that wasn't the case, then we wouldn't have as many divorces going on as we've got going on. 
And so we've got God who, who said, look, I've sent my light, and all you have to do is step into the light and, and, and let him lead and guide you. You be dependent upon him, and you will have a life you've never even dreamed of. So if we really want to deal with our spiritual and moral bankruptcy, we have to become dependent on the light of the world to be dependent on Jesus to find spiritual life. When Jesus' light shines into your life, you can see reality, the reality of God as he really is, the reality of the world as it really is. And as John said, God, Jesus gives light to everyone. He, 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 will ena he enables everyone who's exposed to his light to see if they want to. He doesn't force it upon them. He doesn't make them see. He gives them the opportunity to have, their, have the scales removed from their eyes, have the blinders taken off spiritually so they can see the reality of who God is and what He has for them. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 9-2, it was foretold that this was what was going to happen. It says that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. In other words, in every land on, on planet Earth, the light of Jesus will shine. I don't have the latest statistic, but this was like, I think about 10 years ago or less. Got the statistic of, of what was happening in China. Because we think of, of China as a godless country. It is not. Don't hate the Chinese. Love them. Pray for them. Because every week they had the entire population of Wyoming coming to faith in Christ in China. Every week. It, it, this, this is the craziest part. When a government decides to suppress God, God laughs. <laughs> Really? You think you can stop me? Go ahead. Bring the heat, because as soon as you bring the heat in you, you fire it up. People's lives are transformed. Families are changed. More people come to faith in Christ. Matter of fact, when the Alliance, the Christian Missionary Alliance, we had missionaries in Vietnam just before the fall of Vietnam in 1972. And one of my friends, his mom and dad, who were missionaries in Vietnam, they didn't get out, and they were pulled out by the, the, the North Vietnamese, and they were brought out in front of the village, and they were executed, shot in the head. Americans, missionaries. And then everybody beat feet and got out of Vietnam. And then 30 years later, when we were allowed to go back to Vietnam, the fear was that the church had died under the oppression of the communist re regime. But lo and behold, when they got there, the Alliance Church, one million people strong. You know why? Because the darkness cannot put out the light. Here's where we kind of find ourselves today because it seems like 
right now as we walk and we live in a dark world, we just don't know what's ahead. I mean, <laughs> I, I know there's a lot of uh, angst going on in people's lives about November and what's going to happen in November. And I, and I don't mean this in, um, I mean, we have a responsibility and we need to take that responsibility serious. So I'm telling you right now, this is a political, like you've heard me say this before, this is as political as I'll ever get. Go vote. Take your responsibility serious. But I'm going to tell you that the day after the election, God is still going to be on his throne. Okay? And, and so, but, the, but what happens is because we live in this world, we just don't know what's going on. We live in this darkness. We can't see what's in the future. But, and, and we don't know what's ahead. But that doesn't prevent many of us from being hopeful for positive outcome. I am. I, I always go, I, I want to think the best. I'm disappointed a lot. <laughs> but I do want to think the best, and I, and I hope for the best. But, but it seems like that idea has gotten some undue traction in people's lives because it seems like the new mantra or the new formula for both believers and non-believers is, is that if you just hope for a positive outcome, it will happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's because you didn't have enough good thoughts for that to come out that way. But that's not what God said. Because that, that thought process says, is still saying, be independent from God. And, and, and really what God said, because God never said trust in positive outcome. He said, don't trust your own thoughts on life. Rather, trust me with all of your worries, your desires, your future needs. And most importantly, trust me with the journey of your life. That's what he tells us. And we're like, oh, maybe I should try that. When, when the gospel writer John was in the latter part of his life, he decided this is a good time for me to write, because he learned a lot, John, in his lifetime. He thought, I should write some letters to the churches. So he wrote some letters to the churches. And this is what he wrote right from the beginning of that, those letters. He says, this is the message we heard from Jesus. He says, it's not what you heard from me. It's not what you heard from the Pharisees. It's not what you heard from the religious leaders. This is what we heard from Jesus. And now we declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. I, I just want to hit up a couple of things here in that. Because all people are born into a, a fallen state of sin and separation from God. Until a person is reborn of God, God's spirit, they live in spiritual darkness. Sin darkens our understanding and destroys our spiritual sight, cloaking us in deep darkness. And people who make claims of faith but live as though God doesn't exist or care about sinful actions are those who are still lost in spiritual darkness. You know why? Because they're not practicing the truth. To practice the truth means that we're walking in obedience to God. And that walk in obedience isn't out of a duty, I have to do this, because if I don't, God's going to strike me down. That's not the stance we take. We take the stance that I, I do this because I know the price that was paid to bring the light of Jesus to my life. 
And because of that light in my life, I'm a different person. I live differently. I think differently. I act differently. I talk differently. I give differently. All things have become new for me. And now, out of that love for what God has done for me, it's not duty. It's out of delight. I find joy. I find a sense of peace, of happiness and contentment. As I do walk in obedience to God, it's not drudgery, it's delight. Thanks, Billy. John goes on to say, but if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other as the blood, uh, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I want to hit on that word fellowship because in the Greek word is koinonia. And, it, and it's totally, you know, sometimes we think of going and having a, a fellowship meal. And that's where we gather together and we eat some really good food and we tell some stories and we laugh and we go like, oh, that was really awesome, fellowship. That is not koinonia. Let me give you a good picture of what koinonia means. It means that we, it's in a shared community that involves deep, close-knit participation among its people. It's fixed around a shared desire to honor Jesus as Lord, to put the needs of others before our own needs, that when one of us is in a bad place, whether it's emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and even financially, we will step in to do what we can do to help carry the burden of our fellow Christ follower. That's what koinonia is, and it's deep. It's not a surface, eat a meal together. And it can only be, we can only do that koinonia thing because we're dependent upon Jesus. And, and we've been given the Holy Spirit who controls every aspect of our life. And then we learn to hear the voice of the Spirit who is with us at all times. And he's walking beside us and he says, go this way. And we go this way. And he says, do this. And we do that. And he says, don't say that. And so we shut our mouth. And we don't say that. Mm, a lot of us need to learn that one. Just shut your mouth. But there's more to having the light of Jesus in our life than just, I mean, these, great, these are great benefits we get from having Christ in our life. We've been saved. We've been redeemed. We've been transformed. We're regenerated. We're sanctified. We have a hope in heaven. Those are great benefits of having this relationship with Jesus. But you know what? That's not all he did for. That's not all he has for. That's not all he wants. We have this light because he wants more. Matter of fact, Jesus said it this way in, in the great Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. Just get this. The existence of Christ's followers in the world must be like light and darkness. Not only in the sense that the truth of God's word brings light to the darkened hearts of sinful man, but also in the sense that our good deeds must be evident to all to see. In other words, you can't just go around and you can't just say, well, I'm a Christian. I go to church. That makes me good. That makes me, I'm one of God's people because I go to church and, 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 and I'm a Christian. 
whoop-de-doo. But you can't also go like, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't ever say anything. I just let my life speak for itself. Hogwater. It's a both and. It's not one or. It's both and. You have got to say something and then back it up by what you do. That's what Jesus is telling us. That, that's what it means to be the light of the world. And, and, and the way that this really plays out is that there's the, the evidence of these good deeds for everyone to see, but it's backed up with, with what the other things Jesus taught in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, like the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's, the concern is not for the Christ follower would stand out and be like, woohoo, look at me, but rather that it's, we bring glory to the name of God. Because of what God's doing here, I'm pointing up there and going, it ain't about me, it's all about Him. So here's the question in view of these verses, what sorts of things can hinder or prevent you from fulfilling your role as a light bearer in the world? The passage clearly states that the, there's a difference between a Christ follower and the world and that what is in the Christ follower must be preserved. That means that any choice on our part that blurs the distinction between us and the rest of the world is a step in the wrong direction. It's when we depart from spirit-led lifestyle of genuine discipleship that the distinctions between ourselves and the rest of the world become blurred and our testimony is hidden. Only be, by remaining focused on Jesus and being obedient to him can we expect to remain as light bearers to the world. Jesus calls us a city on a hill. Have you ever seen a city on a hill at night? You see it from a long ways away. You, you could be 35, 40 miles away. You see that light on that hill and you go, that's where I'm going. That, and you know that's the direction to go. And so you're making your, that's what Jesus says, we collectively, as a group of believers, we become a, a light on the hill. Oh, wait a minute, we are on a hill. Be intentional. We've, we've, got, we've been given a, a task. God, God has given us something great to do. And, and Paul taught it this way. He says, for at one time, you, you were darkness. But now, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The purpose of light is give direction. It's to make things bright. It's to illuminate the way so travelers will be shown which way to go. Do you know, what the, do you know the right way to go? To Jesus. That's the right way to go. So the life of a Christ follower is meant to have visible impact and not live in secret, hidden from the world. 
Like Jesus said, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under the basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. There is no such thing as covert Christ followers or clandestine disciples. You can't live incognito and never say anything because if you do, then you've extinguished the light of Jesus in your life. And no one will know no one will know. So what then is our response to the current level of darkness pressing in on our world? I want you to know this. God always has a simple answer for the complicated and complex situations we find ourselves in. And his answer for our current situation is, of course, first and foremost, I mean, like, really? Pray first. You got to tell us. I'm going to keep telling you. I'm not going to assume anything. Some of you are going to go like, oh yeah. Pray first. But the second thing he wants us to do is what Peter said we should do in order to be light bearers with a, that gives a sense of hopefulness, not just to us, but to those around us. In First Peter, he said, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Worship Christ. Christ. You know what happens when you worship Christ? You're spending time. You are in the very presence of Jesus. You're spending time. You're giving Him honor and glory and praise and thanksgiving. You're thanking Him for all the wonderful things He's done in your life. You remember all the good things from your past to where you are in your present. You're praying for things that will happen in the future. You pray for your family. You pray for your church family. You pray for, for, for your relatives. You pray for all the, the leaders of the country. You pray for your pastor. And you pray for your pastor. And again, you pray for your pastor. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I can't get enough of it. Because, because that's what he's called us to do. That's what it means to worship the Lord of your life. Because when you worship Jesus as your Lord, when you walk out of that worship time, you've got Jesus smeared all over you. His very presence is on you. It's kind of like you get sprayed with something that glows. And people sense it about you. And they're going like, Jesus just squirt joy all over you. And you're going, yes, he did. You know why? They know when you've been in the presence of Jesus. It overflows out of your life. You pass it on to other people just naturally. Just the effervescence of Jesus comes out of you. Because when that happens, look what it says. Because when that happens, someone's going to ask you about your hope as a believer. Why are you so hopeful? Why do you, why do you always look like even the bad things that are happening, it's not getting you down? Why aren't you complaining about the government? Why aren't you crying about the gas prices? Why aren't you up in arms? Why are you getting sleep and not sleepless at night? Well, here's why. Always be ready to explain the hope that you have in Jesus. That's being a light bearer. People should be asking about hope. Uh, in, in, especially in this, these dark times. Your life should reflect Jesus. Uh, last night, I wanted to preach this message. I did actually last night. I preached it to my dog. <laughs> He's still a sinner. He needs Jesus. But last night, I don't know how many people saw the moon. 
when it came up? Do you know what the moon does? Reflects the sun. That big old fat moon in the sky, you just go like, I stand and I go like, that is the glory of Jesus right there. And what, that, that really, I mean, I, I want to go back out and look at it tonight. Because when you see that big old moon up there, it's reflecting the sun as you should reflect the sun of God. You, you, it's the, this, the moon is the light bearer for the sun. You're to be the moon for Jesus, the light bearer. But here's, here's the thing. Here's where the rubber meets the road. If you were removed from the lives of, the, of your friends, whether they're Christ followers or not, don't know Jesus, what difference would it make? Would the light be pulled out and they would be hopeless? As a, as a light, as a, a Jesus light in the lives of the people Jesus has placed around you, how has your presence made a difference in their lives? Is there anything about you that would, would set you so much apart from them that your presence would profound, your, your absence would profoundly affect them and how they live their lives? Because when you walk into a room, because of the light of Jesus, you should light that room up. Everybody should look at you and go like, I don't know what it is about her. I don't know what it is about him. But when he walks in there, there is a different, and this is the word they would use, aura, glow, presence, about that. There is something different. People should see, they should be able to tell that when you walk into the room. Because Jesus said, he is the light of the world. And because I have that light in my life, I now become his light to the world. Like a city on the hill that gives a guiding light, my life makes an internal impact on those who know me. And the goal of knowing Jesus is that I want my life to be so attractive that people who know me but don't know God will want to know God because they know me. Let me say that again. I want my life to be so attractive, the light of Jesus. The people who don't know me, but uh, the people who know me but don't know God, they don't know the light, will want to know God, the light, because they see God's light in me. Amen? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come to this table. This table, that table, the two tables at the back. This is a reminder to us what it cost Jesus to make us his light bearers. Think about that today. You're taking this in remembrance of him making you a light bearer. And, and that's, that's what this is about. So today, especially today, as you take communion, just ask God this one thing. Just say, make me a better bearer of your light to the people you've placed me around. Mm. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that it brings hope to the hopeless. It brings light in the dark places. I thank you. I praise you because you brought light to my dark heart all those years ago. 
You rescued me from the pit of darkness, from the gloom of this world, from, an, from a hopeless position. And because of your light in my life, Jesus, I now stand and I worship you because of your goodness to me. I thank you that you have given to me all these things. And I pray for every man, woman, and child here this morning that they would step into your light, that they would embrace you, Jesus, as the light of the world, and that they would take that light and dispense it to the people you've put in their lives. I also would ask you to, to just, there may be somebody here this morning that has never asked you to be the light of their life. If right now you've never asked Jesus to be the light of your life, just do this. Pray this prayer. Just say, Dear Jesus, I know that I don't have your light in me, that I've got darkness, I've got sin, and I feel guilt and shame. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin right now, Jesus. I'm asking you to be the light of my life. I'm asking you to take control of my life. I, I want you to, to be the leader of my life. I want to be totally dependent upon you. And I ask you to, to lead me from now until you take me home in 80 years from now. And would your name just be glorified? Thank you for saving me right now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he says, this is my body which is given for you. And then he passed it around the disciples all took a piece and he says, every time you eat this bread, it represents my body. Remember me. And then the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood that was poured out for you. Every time you drink it, remember that my blood covers your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and, and the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so, for those of you that just prayed that prayer, you've just entered into the kingdom of God. Welcome to the family of God. And what Jesus says is, for the first time now, as a child of God, come and remember just 30 seconds ago what God did for you. It's amazing. So here's what we're going to do. The team, I just want you to sit for a couple of, you know, 15 seconds. Let the, let the words minister to your heart. Talk with God. Thank God. Worship Jesus. And then when you're ready, get up and come and grab a, a cup and a piece of bread. And there's the, the, the white ones that are gluten-free. And then take them and hold them. Take them back to your seat and sit down. And then after everybody's been served, then we'll partake together. And by, we have two tables at the back and we have two tables at the front. And so make your way. Get your love feast. That's what this is called. And then take your place again and then we'll come back together. <laughs>